us. Welcome to the Emmanuel Baptist Church Podcast. We pray that the sermon you're about to hear would be useful as you grow in your love for God and your love for His church. Now, here's today's sermon. Well, turn in your copy of God's Word, if you would, to the book of Proverbs. And uh, we're going to continue in our study through that uh, this evening. I'm really looking forward to this, and uh, in part because it's go- I think I'm going to learn a lot, just as much as you will in our time in Proverbs. Uh, I think it's going to stretch me a lot as a preacher, and I think it'll stretch us a lot as a church. And so, if you remember, um, last time we looked, I think it was last week, we looked uh, at the first seven verses of the book of Proverbs. We're early on in our study through it. And um, I kind of gave you a general outline of the book of Proverbs last week, if you remember that, where it, the first large portion of the book is made up of ten letters from a father to his son. That's the first nine chapters. The first nine chapters, ten letters from a father to his son, and that's obviously most literally from Solomon the king writing to his son who's growing up and will one day be heir to the throne. King Solomon's writing to his son, Rehoboam. Words of wisdom, letters of wisdom that he hopes and prays Rehoboam will take heed to and and follow, and, and we know from History in God's word that Rehoboam doesn't do that, that he chooses the wrong path and, uh, and brings a lot of hurt and destruction and division into Israel because he didn't follow his father's words of wisdom. So most literally, these 10 letters that we're going to be looking at over the course of 10 weeks are uh, letters from Solomon to his son. But then also we can take this, um, broaden it out a little bit more, um, and you can say maybe... Um, figuratively, that it's also the Heavenly Father's message to the Son of God, Jesus Christ, which Jesus Christ, different from Rehoboam, obeys it perfectly, without fault or error. And that's why in Isaiah, uh, we see that Jesus, or the coming Messiah, would actually be the perfect embodiment of the wisdom and the fear of the Lord found in Proverbs. That's what Isaiah says depicts the Messiah, the coming Messiah, to be. And so really, this could be the the Father telling the Son how to live, and the Son does it perfectly, which we can't do. And and then, of course, a third understanding of these ten letters could be the Father writing to us, His children. If you're a child of God, these are letters from a father to his son or daughter, and how to live a godly life. And so a lot of ways, this is God writing to you. And to me, speaking to his children of how to live a godly life which honors him. And so we have a decision to make. Are we going to be like Rehoboam or are we going to walk the path of our elder brother, Christ, and, and follow our Lord and Savior's example in that? And so um, the, that, that's really the first nine chapters. And then actually it starts in chapter 10, the part that Proverbs really is well known for. right? Chapter 10 on through chapter 29 are those pithy one-niner, I don't mean pithy in like a 
derogatory term or, or bad, bad way, but um, just short, quick, bite-sized words of wisdom. Those one-liners that you and I know. That, that's chapters 10 through 29. It's not the whole book. And so we'll get there eventually, but before we get there, we need to look at these 10 letters. Today we're going to look at the first letter, uh, which I didn't realize was going to be so long. <laughs> but it's the rest of chapter 1, verses 8 through 33. And we can do it. We can do it, guys. And so we will. Um, kind of understanding this, um, the outline of this letter will, I think, help a lot in being able to walk through it quickly and efficiently. Um, the, the first half of this letter, if hopefully you're looking at your copy of God's Word. If not, you can grab it out of the pew in front of you. Turn to Proverbs 1.8, because um, this part's not going to be on the screens. But the first half of this letter, that's verses 8 through 19, is the father writing to his young, naive son who hasn't yet decided which path to take, either wisdom or folly. He's at the fork in the road. He hasn't decided yet. He's young, he's naive, he's unsure, and the father's writing to his son before he makes his decision which road to go down, he's writing to him that advice. That's the first half of it, 8 through 19. And then verses 20 through the rest of the chapter, 33, it's actually shifts in who it, it's addressing, who the letter is being written to, to, and it's being written to the person who's already decided the wrong path. The, the person that's a few steps ahead of the sun, so to speak. The person that went down that path of folly. And it's words to that individual. So the first half, words to the young son who hasn't yet decided. And then the second half, words to the one who already has decided the wrong path. That's the second half. And so I kind of think about it this way. Um, I'll tell you a little bit about my, my life, something I haven't told you all before. In middle school, I think I was sixth grade, maybe, I'm not sure. Um, I went to Oceans of Fun with my friend, Scott. And, uh, and he talked me into going to the candy shop there at the main entrance and, and uh, bringing my drawstring bag and just trying to slip in candy bars in the bag. And, uh, and we'd have lunch provided for a bunch of candy bars. And so, <clears throat> talked me into it, and I started doing it, and uh, just, you know, kind of dropping things in there, bags of chips, candy bars, all these different things, filled up my backpack of it. And uh, I kept noticing this guy in swim trunks and this girl in a bikini just kept watching me. And I was like, mind your own business, right? That's what I'm thinking the whole time. And, uh, when I'm done, I see Scott kind of signaling, like, you're good. And so I, I just walk right on, I just waltz right on out of the, the store. And just a little bit later, we walk down, we find our seat, we sit down, we start eating. And, uh, and that guy and that girl come and find me and him. And they say, hey, can we see your receipt for all that? And, you know, your heart just drops to your stomach. <laughs> I must have misplaced it. Right, and you just get scared and you get nervous. And anyway, um, they taught me a lesson, and it sure worked. They handcuffed me right there in front of everyone. Um, they did, and uh, brought us to their security station. And I was just 
terrified, right? I mean, it's going through my brain. I'm going to juvie. Um, I'm going to correctional facility. I'm never seeing my old life, right? And, um, and so they take me to the security station and call our parents. And Scott's mom comes and picks us up. And I just remember before we got in the car, we got to the parking lot where there's no one else in the park, right? We're in the parking lot now. And she's just laying into him just yelling and yelling, and I'm just standing there just trying to be polite, like hopefully she forgot I'm here, and I'm just head down, and, and she's just yelling at him, and then she turns to me, and she goes, oh, and you, and she just starts talking to me, your parents, just wait till they, and then she just starts laying into me, and that's almost, I think, maybe what Solomon's doing in this letter, Right? So he's, he's writing in part to the individual that's already went down the wrong path, and they are the instigator. They're the one that's a few steps ahead of the sun and a bad example for the sun. And Solomon has a few words for that individual. But then he also says, and you, son, young, naive, don't go with that person. Don't follow their example. Don't do what they tell you to do. Right? So he's speaking to both parties and gives them really, I think, the same general messages. Three elements that are similar to both addresses to the young naive son that hasn't decided and the individual that has decided. There's really three similar elements. Firstly, he talks about how wisdom is on display for all people to see. Everyone can see wisdom. It's out there and it's attainable. That's what he says to both the son and and the one who's a few steps ahead of him. Secondly, he says that there's an invitation. There's an invitation to choose your path, either wisdom or folly. And then thirdly, there's a warning about choosing the wrong path. Let's look at the first element together. This first element is that there is a public display of wisdom for everyone to see. It's not hidden. It's not hidden. So firstly, the father tells that to the undecided son who hasn't made his decision yet, he says, son, look at the public awe of wisdom that people have when they see wisdom. He says it in verse 8 and 9. He says, hear, my son, your father's instructions, and forsake not your mother's teaching, for they are a graceful garland for your head and a pendant to your neck. What, What is he saying here? Well, he's saying that wisdom is You can wear that around and people will see it. It will stand out publicly and people are going to acknowledge it and it's going to impress other people. It's going to stand out as unique and set apart from other people. It's like you're walking around with, maybe you could say a crown and a medallion. He, he, he uses the same kind of terminology in chapters 3 and chapters 4, uh, repeats the same concept, and I think we have both of those. Proverbs 3.22, he says, and they will be, that's, that's wisdom, will be life for your soul and an adornments for your neck. Then chapter 4, wisdom will place on your head a graceful garland. She will bestow on you be a beautiful crown. And so, what is, what is this message that the father is saying to this naive son? Well, just as foolishness brings consequences, wisdom brings benefits. And one of those is people notice. 
People will see. You're wearing it. And they will see it. You'll stand out amongst others and be noticed in public for it. And Solomon's actually the one who's writing this as a prime example, isn't he? If you know the story in the Old Testament, Solomon was known, his wisdom was known through all the lands. The Queen of Sheba, a pagan woman who did not follow Yahweh, she made a travel just to see Solomon and meet him because she was so amazed by his wisdom. It was like a garland to his head or a crown or a pendant around his neck. People saw it and were amazed. So I guess, let me make make, make this applicational for you and for me tonight. Do you want to be the person that people look up to and admire? That they would say, I want to be like them one day. I can tell you, I have those individuals that are a generation or two generations ahead of me, and I say, I see wisdom in them. I want to be like them. I admire them. Do you want to be that person? I want to be that person. I want to wear it around my neck, wear it as a crown on my head. I want people to see it and admire it and and learn from me that they would follow my path. You know, you can be an influential individual, not just with being successful in your job or become some successful athlete. You can gain influence those ways, but you can gain influence by simply being a person that knows God's Word and lives it out. You can. That's what the Father's saying here. It can be public known. And then, but also, He's not only telling that to the Son, who's naive and hasn't made a decision which path to go, but he's also telling that same message to the foolish person that's already decided which path to go down. And he he says this in verses 20 and 21. Wisdom cries out. This is the same message, but now to the person that's down the, the wrong road. He says, wisdom cries out into the streets and the markets. She raises her voice. And the head of the noisy streets, she cries out at the entrance of the city gates. She speaks. You notice this? That's, that's the first theme to both the son and the, the one ahead of him. Wisdom is publicly known. To the son, it's like wearing a crown or a medallion. To the other individual, he says, wisdom's crying out to you. Wisdom's screaming out to you. She's crying out and she's raising her voice to you. Notice though, as we're still looking at this, She cries aloud in the streets, in the markets, she raises her voice. At the head of the noisy streets, she cries out. You see there's competing voices in the world, isn't there? There's competing voices. She has to cry out because there's a lot of noise going on. There's a lot of, I guess you could say, voices that are competing for attention to be heard. Alright? So I guess it It takes someone, you and I, to intentionally listen for wisdom, to pick out her voice and recognize it and follow it. But you have to know her voice to pick it out, don't you? You know what I'm talking about? You have to know her voice to pick it out in in all the crowd's voices and all the voices that the world is screaming and yelling. You have to have your ear tuned to hear her voice 
in the midst of the many voices. Think about my youth pastor, Jerome, and his wife. Uh, they always had uh, this, it was very strange, this thing where they would, didn't matter how loud the crowd was, they would take us to like events or conventions and uh, in the midst of all these people, like just a sea of people, right? Like you think Arrowhead Stadium or something like that, and you're just trying to navigate through this. And, and they would always have this same thing that they would say with their mouth to get the other one's attention if they're far apart. If they're, if they're a ways away from each other, they would go, It was very weird, but it was effective. I'm not kidding. Heather would be like 20 yards away from him, and it's just like a sea of hundreds of people, and she would go, and, he, and he'd look up and he'd start looking for his wife. Sarah, you can attest. It's real. It was so weird to me. But I think that's just such an image for this, that she cries aloud. Wisdom cries aloud in the midst of all the voices that we hear in the marketplace. But you have to know her voice. You have to know what to listen for to recognize it. So I guess application for you and I is we have to know God's word. You have to know God's word. It takes knowing wisdom to recognize her voice. And so to get alone in God's word, to cherish it, to soak it up is essential. So in him saying that both to the son and to this individual, Wisdom is known publicly. You can see it as other people wear it. And she cries out in the marketplace. What we're, what we're seeing here and how he says that to both individuals is that no one has an excuse. Do you hear that? No one has an excuse. Everybody can see wisdom and hear wisdom. Wisdom is out there and wisdom is available. It's been provided to us through God's word and some just choose to reject it. But no one has an excuse. Romans 1 says no one has an excuse. God has made himself known through revelation. Some some decide to reject it. So that's the first element that wisdom is made publicly known to everyone. It's not hidden. The second element that he has in this letter is that there's an invitation from both sides to follow their ways. Wisdom is calling out. And the voice of folly is alluring us, right? Both are inviting us to follow, and we pick one side. I remember in high school, I had to make the decision of whether or not I was going to quit playing soccer. Um, at first, I was thinking that's where I was going to, that's how I was going to pay for school. I was going to go and play college soccer, and uh, um, by God's providence, I ended up doing that anyway, but I in high school, I had to decide, was I going to continue or was I going to quit? And um, I wanted to quit because I wanted to get more involved in my youth group. And, and that's actually true. I'm not just like saying that, but I, I really wanted to get more involved in the church. And so I, uh, I wanted to quit soccer and just be at the church all the time. I felt a call into ministry. But I remember all these voices, all my soccer friends um, telling me, don't quit. You know, this is, um, you only get so many years in school, right? You only get so many game opportunities. You, you can't play soccer forever. And, and I kept hearing that. And then I had my dad's voice, um, you know, him wanting me to, to be 
some soccer star or something. And I had all these voices telling me, um, and then I had also this voice in the back of my head saying, quit. I just had to listen to both of these voices, and, and I had to go with one, right? And that's what we see here. There's an invitation from both sides, wisdom and folly, calling us, and we have a decision to make which to follow. So the father warns his naive son, his young son, about the invitation that sinners offer to join their wickedness. He says it's going to happen. You're going to be invited. You're going to be allured. You're going to be, the word he uses is enticed. Know that and be ready for that. That's what he says in verses 10 through 14. He says, my son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, come with us, let us lie and wait for blood. Remember that phrase. Come with us, let us lie and wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without reason like Sheol. Let us swallow them alive and whole like those who go down to the pit. We shall find all precious goods. Remember that part too. We shall find all precious goods. We shall fill our houses with plunder. Throw in your lot among us. We will have one purse. There's a voice that's inviting him to follow the way of folly. And so we have to know that. And it's interesting, they're not just voices in the crowd. Right? They know what to say to woo you over. He uses the word entice. They don't just say, they entice. They know what to say to woo you over. But while the foolish invite the naive to join them, wisdom also invites the foolish to join her. There's invitation on both sides, and so we see that verses 22 through 23. Wisdom says to the foolish individual, the person that's already down the road, she says, How long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in the scoffing and fools hate knowledge? If you turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you. I will make my words known to you. She invites the foolish person. If you ever ask an individual, uh, how long are you going to be doing this? You know what I'm talking about? How long are you going to do this? How long are we going to be doing this? We've, we've gone round and round in this. We've had this conversation a hundred times. How long are you going to keep doing this? You ever had that conversation with someone? You know what I'm talking about? And they just keep doing it? They're just in this cycle? That, that's, what, that's what she's doing to the individual that's already down the road. Not the naive son that hasn't decided yet. The, the person that's already down that road, she says, how long are we, doing, how long are we going to be doing this? Verse 22, right? How long? You're going to delight in doing this. How long until you realize the ways that you're doing, the, 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 the foolishness of your ways? So look at, this is really ultimately God speaking. He says in verse 23, If you turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you. Notice his method of intervention. What he does to the wicked, he reproves them. Right? So let's, let's get application on here, church. You ready? The godly person doesn't just ignore sin. 
in other people's lives. Doesn't just preach the gospel without calling out sin. Doesn't just say the good without calling out the bad. Right? The godly person reproves, corrects, offers criticism. Another synonym for reprove is rebuke. That's God's method of intervention, one of them at least, is to reprove. And His invitation is turn. If you turn from my reproof, right? So if, when I reprove you, if you turn, that's His invitation to turn. To redirect, to change, to choose new. And if they do, God's promise is that He'll pour out His Spirit on you. If you aren't walking with God today, I don't know everyone in this room necessarily, but um, if you aren't walking with God, read verse 23. It's an incredible promise. If you turn, let's redirect your life. Because of my reproof, it's God loving you. I will pour out my spirit on you. It's amazing. And this is the gospel, right? He corrects us and sometimes breaks us down so that we would repent and receive His Spirit. And if that's God's method, then I think it should be ours as well. Never, ever give up challenging people in your life and inviting them to repent. Never give up on that. i got to keep moving. I'm, I'm moving slow. Let's look at this third element. So firstly, there's this reality that wisdom is public and available to everybody. And the second element, that there's an invitation, there's an allurement, there's a calling on both sides to pick one or the other. It's available, and it's calling. And then thirdly, there's judgment that will come for sinners who reject God's wisdom. It's probably the biggest theme in the whole first letter here. There's judgment that will come for sinners who reject God's wisdom. Let's look at it. The Father firstly warns the Son of the road of evil, if you were to choose it. Verses 15 through 19. Let's look at that together. Verses 15 through 19. He says, My son, do not walk in the ways with them. Hold back your foot from their paths, for their feet run to evil, and they make haste to shed blood. For in vain is a net spread in the sight of any bird. This is huge. Get verses 18 and 19, please. But these men lie in wait for their own blood. They set an ambush for their own lives. Such are the ways of everyone who is greedy for unjust gain. It takes away the life of its possessor. Don't miss this. Notice that the judgment that the person that goes down that path, the sinner, notice that their judgment that they receive is the exact opposite of the promise they think they would receive. That sounds confusing. But their judgment is the exact opposite of what they thought they would get. Look at this. Look at verse 11. They promise as an enticement to the young son They promise that they are going to go and lie and wait for the blood of other people. Say, hey, join us and lie and wait for other people's blood. Verse 11. Verse 18. They end up spilling their own blood. 
Verse 13, they're promising that they're going to get precious goods and plunder, and they're going to share one big purse. It's going to be glorious. Verse 19, they end up losing their life. Do you see this? That's the judgment of the foolish person. We're going to hurt other people. No, you're going to end up hurting yourself. We're going to get so rich. No, you're going to lose your life. This is the judgment of the person that goes down the wicked path. Then later in the, the letter, he, he warns the wicked person of the road of evil that they're already going down. And that's really 24 to the end of it. Let me read it very quickly. Because I have called you and you have refused to listen. This is the person already down the path. This isn't the son that hasn't decided. The person that's already down the path, he says, because I have called you and, re- and you've refused to listen, have stretched out my hand and no one has heeded, because you have ignored my counsel and would have none of my reproof, I also will laugh at your calamities. I will mock when terror strikes you, when terror strikes you like a storm, and your calamity comes like a whirlwind when distress and anguish come upon you. Then they will call upon me. That's always when they call upon, right? God. When we're at the bottom of the pit. Then they'll call upon me. But I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but will not find me. Because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord would have none of my counsel and despised all of my reproof. Therefore, they shall eat the fruit of their way and have their fill of their own devices. For the simple are killed by their turning away, and the complacency of fools destroys them. But whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread or disaster. It's just me, but that sounds really harsh. <laughs> We're human. Come on. It's like, man, ooh. What do we do with that? <clears throat> well, you can notice this. Judgment comes after the rebuke and the inv- invitation to return is rejected. But he invites before he judges, doesn't he? You see that? He, he invites and he, and he says, turn from your ways. When I reprove you, turn and I will give you my spirit. He invites to turn and follow him. And it's only after the rejection that judgment comes. God doesn't judge without first calling to repent. He could and he would be just to do it, but he doesn't. He sends his son. He spreads his good news throughout all the earth. And the message is this. Repent. Turn from your wicked ways. Trust me as Lord. Obey my commandments. Put your faith in me. And when we reject that, then judgment comes. It's a reality. Judgment does end up coming though. Notice in what I just read, he doesn't say if. 
He says when. He doesn't say if, he says when. I will mock when terror strikes you. When terror strikes you like a storm. When distress and anguish come upon you. Judgment isn't isn't an if. It's a sad reality. Judgment isn't an if. It's a when. For those who aren't in Christ. And it's final. Final judgment is just that. It's final. He says, I won't answer. And they won't find me. Those are heavy words, but I think sobering words that we all need to hear and heed if we aren't currently walking with Jesus. And so I don't know if you're walking with Jesus. And so I say in love, not in judgment or certainly not in an ivory tower elitist kind of way, but as, a, as one who's also in the chief of sinners category and I can identify with you, in your sinfulness, I can identify with you. I, I would say in love, God does judge. It's real. And we need to heed his words and follow him in that. So, let me give you a couple takeaways as we leave, as we wrap up here. Firstly, this letter is long. <laughs> Wisdom is publicly displayed. It's worn by those who wear it, and it's cried out from God's word. It is publicly displayed. And so, firstly, guys, let's thank God for that. Let's thank God for that, that He has not hid Himself, but He has made Himself fully on display. How terrible would it be if God hid Himself from us? If He didn't display Himself to us? If His Word wasn't crying out in the streets or worn on the people that follow Him? Thank God that He has decided to make Himself fully known to man and His revelation fully accessible to us. So we can thank God for that. Thank God for the, for the Reformation, if you know history and all of that, that the mass production of the Bible and our native tongue. Thank God for that. Thank God for those who wear wisdom for us to see and admire. I hope you have that person, by the way. The person that you look to and say, wow. They are adorned with God's wisdom. And they don't have to be older than you, right? That's pretty typical. They don't have to be. They could be somebody your own age, younger. I hope you have that person you see and you want to strive to be like. Helps us never grow complacent in where we're currently at. So firstly, wisdom is on public display for everyone to see. Secondly, there is a call to join from both sides. Fools will call to join them. And we need to heed the words of the Father to not consent to their enticements. And I think we need to tell the younger generation, they're all empty promises. What you hear from the world are empty promises. They say you're going to get rich, you're going to lose your life. Not only fools call out, but wisdom calls out too. Sometimes in the, in the voice of reproof, it's worth listening to though. Lastly, not only is there judgment ahead for those who reject God, 
But there's also salvation for those who choose to follow God. Verse 33, I just want to finish with that last verse. Whoever listens to me, I hope that's you tonight. I hope that's you tonight. Whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread or disaster. I'd encourage you to soak up God's Word, know God's Word, recognize wisdom as she cries out in this very loud and noisy world. Pray that you'll be able to identify God's Word. Follow it so that you can rest secure and dwell with Him forever. And heed His words. Because His words are best and they're right and they're true and they're good for you. They're good for me. Amen? Amen. Let me pray for it. Thanks for listening to today's sermon. If you live in or near Bethany, Missouri, we invite you to join us for our worship services held on Sunday morning and Sunday evenings, as well as our various activities on Wednesday nights. For more information on how you can get involved, visit our website at bethanyibc.com. 